morning! This is Bridget Nelson from Mystery Science Theater 3000 and Rift Tracks, and you are listening to Too Much Scrolling. Happy anniversary, Steve and Chip. I'll see you in the future. October 17th, 2023. I'm Steve Foder. I'm Dr. Frankenstein. <laughs> We're just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us. Hopefully they're important to you. If you need more information, there's so many great ways to find more information. Chip, the audio is different again from last week. We are now in a different spot than we were last week. We are, Steve. We are in the Chicago area. Welcome to the studio, sir. Oh, yes, right. Welcome, welcome to the cool of the uh, Midwest. That's right. We are groovy and cool. We use all of the slang here. <laughs> oh, you meant the weather. Yes, it is definitely a different temperature than it was in North Carolina last week. Welcome. Welcome back to uh, the Midwest. Have some clouds. That's right. It's beautiful <laughs> outside, though. You want to go see the eclipse? No. <laughs> <laughs> Film at 11. Brings us to our Film at 11, our movie of the week. We are in an era, sir, of movies are going to be challenging for a while, but you found a movie to go to this week. I did go to the movie, Steve, at Alamo Drafthouse in Raleigh. You know, maybe they could sponsor us at this point. <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there because I've seen the movies coming out this month and... Yeah, they probably should sponsor us. They, they could use a little bit of podcasting help. Well, I, I'm not sure if there's going to be a lot to, to, to choose from. Yeah. You got to see a movie called Monsters in California. I have to tell you, I have heard nothing about this film. Sounds like something that I would enjoy. Well, I'm going to be blunt with you, Steve. Um, I didn't hear about this either until I saw <laughs> that it was playing. And do you know, uh, you remember the, the, the rock group called Blink-182? Yes, my kids, my boys are a big fan of Blink-182. That is right up their alley for sure. Well, a few years ago, their lead singer and the co-founder left the band to explore um, unusual and mysterious happening steve dun 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 <laughs> yes 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 he wanted to explore the world of ufos steve ah and um this is one of his projects this is a, a ufo movie this is this is uh, a teenager who is looking for answers in the paranormal huh yes and you know blink 182 was kind of um juvenile fun mm-hmm you know, they kind of made fun of the music playing business while playing, you know, uh, pop songs. Okay. And uh, they were a lot of fun and they were always very humorous. And that same vibe is this movie. Okay. So um, it's not a great film. Let me be blunt about it. But you get to see Bigfoot pee in a person's mouth. Uh, okay. That's that's not something that I would pay to see. <laughs> Aliens. A missing dad. And, um, yes, let's just make sure that um, I think what we're going to learn is that all the religions are one man. Oh, yeah. With, um, you know, the aliens and Bigfoot's part of it, Steve. I, I am grooving on the idea of analyzing the iconography of religion through the, the lens of Bigfoot. Well, I mean, it's like on the level of Blink-182. 
So let's be blunt about it. This is not a great film. Okay. Uh, I don't think it's like so bad that you couldn't watch it. I, I don't necessarily think it's a riff trap type of bad. Okay. Uh, and I don't think it's, um, I think it's a capable film. So 50 out of 100, but really only if you have interest in it. And it takes place in Southern California. So it's got like this, this vibe to it. I mean, it's just what it is, mm -hmm. is a good way of putting it. I don't think this is a great film, but if you want to watch Monsters in California, I've given you the preview. There you go. I got a chance to see Console Wars. This was released in 2020. It's available now on Paramount+. Plus. It's the documentary about that, that magical time called 1990 when Nintendo and Sega were in the battle for eyeballs on the video game industry. So this was a uh, historical document, Steve. This is very much a documentary documenting a very important time in a young man's life, 1990, when he was deciding between if he was a Nintendo fan or a Sega fan. Well, that would be Sonic the Hedgehog versus mm -hmm. Mario. Mm -hmm. Somehow Sony missed out, didn't they? Until the end of the documentary where Sony comes in and partners with Sega and becomes the video game group with the PlayStation under the auspices of Sega. That's where this documentary ends. So um, Sega ended up moving their characters over to Sony. Correct. Interesting, mm -hmm. interesting. And Nintendo stayed out of it. Nintendo is definitely a different group. They definitely have a an idea of what games should be and, and their audience. A small audience of people enjoy Nintendo because of the simplicity of the storytelling. Sega was all about... A, I think it's totally family friendly. Family friendly. The Sega group was definitely into the uh, malicious gaming. The the gore, the Mortal Kombat game was a big part of this story in this documentary. Okay. Nintendo decided that if they were going to carry that game, they were going to cut out all of the gore. It was going to be about fighting, okay, fine, fighting, but not death at the end of the match. Sega was looking at a different audience. They wanted to capture that, that teenage boy yeah. that loves those things in our culture interesting i have a lot of respect for nintendo mm -hmm. because they truly are what they are they they could easily have changed their market but you know they're like we don't necessarily have to have the best technology we have to have good games good and we characters. don't have the, we don't have to have the most games mm -hmm. we just need to have good games mm -hmm. and so they work very much like that to this day. Yes. And, and, and in fact, I mean, they, they are, I don't know, three or four generations behind in technology with their Nintendo Switch. Mm -hmm. But they have a huge following. I agree. Because of the characters and the storytelling. The, the icon of Mario versus the icon of Sonic the Hedgehog, there's a lot of culture behind Mario. And if you come out with a new Mario game today, it will sell. Will you sell a, a new Sonic game? Maybe, maybe. Where I see Sonic playing out is I have a, an Apple TV and you have games available. And so the games that are available on Nintendo with the Nintendo characters, you have similar games, not necessarily the same same, but similar enough that use the Sega characters. Yeah, I was never really a gamer. I'm still not a gamer and, and my 
students in my computer class are always confused by that because they see computers as gaming consoles. They want to experience a movie. And, 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 and they, interact. And, and interact with it, mm -hmm. yes. Yes. Where, um, for games for me, I'm looking for just sort of an escape for a little while. Mm -hmm. And I'm not necessarily wanting to put a lot of effort into learning a bunch of skills. So yeah. I play like the golf game. <laughs> I play the baseball game. Something that, the bowling game. Something that would, you know, it takes a little bit of skill. Mm -hmm. You can play it casually. I don't have to be involved with, hey, we're on this military mission and we're going to kill a bunch of people. And hey, you're going to take the left flank and make sure you use this particular maneuver when you do it. Mm -hmm. Yes, those, those are a little bit longer. And beyond that, the kids who are really into gaming are doing research. They are finding out how to play this game, how to essentially cheat this game. And they find a lot of conversation and community in that conversation over gaming well i think they probably put a lot of effort the designers do to make sure that you have these easter eggs mm -hmm. so i i do play a game on the apple tv not to, to take this away but um that is very similar to zelda interesting so while nintendo's games are not um available on anything but a nintendo device right it has such an influence on how people want to play games, or many people want to play games. So we end up having those types of copycat kind of games that, that similar enough take some of those ideas. The, one of the most important, one of the most interesting parts about this documentary was how many times the word addiction was used in the 1990s. There was a lot of concern for how young people would interact with these games and how the endorphins that and the chemistry of the brain are affected by this gaming. What, I, did you ever play a single game? Like like from beginning to end? I, I was never that kid. The closest okay. I ever came was Super Mario Brothers 3. That was a game that I really, really wanted to get to the end of. I really wanted to achieve the goal of that game. So I comp completed Wolfenstein mm -hmm. when it first came out. And I can't remember. It took me three weeks or whatever. And I completed Doom when it first came out. You're working off a computer at that point. Right, those are computer and it, games. And it was the same thing, like three uh, three weeks or so. And at the end of that game, I said, yeah, I, this is too much time. Mm -hmm. I can't do this. Because it really was. It's like you would start at 8 o'clock at night, it's midnight, um, or 1 o'clock, or 2 o'clock, mm -hmm. or whatever it is. And you could continue to do it, but it just takes a lot of time. And if you remember Professor Chestnut from uh, Faithful State, when we talked to him about World of Warcraft, and he stopped playing because one time he figured out that he, the equivalent of one full year mm. of time he spent on that game. And he said, that's just, I can find better ways of using a year's worth of of time. So many of my kids are addicted to video games that don't have an end, that there's no complete story. Okay. The, the games that are just open worlds where they leave this world behind and go into this interactive world and just love the feeling that they get from that. That is addiction. They are very much staying up way too late, spending way too much time on that activity because of that chemistry. And wait till Caprica comes out, Steve. 
Cylons. They'll all be plan. Cylons. They have a plan. <laughs> do they? Do the, they really? They'll all be Cylons. They won't be able to do like. So, somebody so. said that there's a Battlestar Galactica Christmas ornament coming out this year from Hallmark. And I was like, really? Where can I find one of those? Well, that's <laughs> called planning, Steve. <laughs> the last point about this Console Wars documentary that I want to make is the beauty of the art that they put into this. They showed us some of the old 8-bit graphics in such a beautiful, vibrant way that my eyeballs were just so glued to the art of these video games. There's some beautiful things that have been created in video games over the years. The other thing they did was they took the story, the interviews, and they made digital pictures of the characters in the documentary interacting on an 8-bit screen. Beautifully done. I, I recommend Console Wars to everybody that has access to these. It's kind of like it's art form, Steve. It is definitely art form. Book it, book it, book it. Book it, book it, book it. Book it. Book it. Brings us to our book it, our book of the week. It is spooky season, Chip. That's why Frankenstein is here. <laughs> One of my favorites. One of my favorite books of all time is Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. The movies just made this so special. Yes, don't don't confuse me with that crazy man making other men. I'm a Frankenstein. <laughs> Not a Frankenstein. Hearts and kidneys are tinker toys! <laughs> we have already gone away from the original. The thing that we're here to talk about is not Young Frankenstein. But Young Frankenstein was such a cultural piece of what we're talking about today. We read a book called It's Alive. It's Alive! <laughs> alive! Written by Julian David Stone. This was published in 2022. It's the story of the making of the 1931 Frankenstein movie. It is. Oh. <laughs> it is good, isn't it? See? <laughs> See? Oh, so much of my joy is from young Frankenstein, even though the book is wonderful, and I love this 1931 movie. In, in fact, that is what this book is about. The making of the 1931 movie and all the challenges they had uh, getting ready to, to start filming. Mm -hmm. And we're following three different characters, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Junior. Junior, come here. I would like to tell you about making this movie, Junior. Uh, Junior Lemley, who was the head of Universal at age... Was he the head, Steve? Was he the head? Well, he was trying to become vice president. He was trying to become the head of Universal. Assistant to the vice president. His father, yes. Yeah, his and father was the founder of Universal Pictures. Mm -hmm. And Junior was 23 years old. And he, it was a different time. 1931 yes. was a different time. 23 years old was when you became the head of things. And Junior really wanted this. So Senior Lamley, let's go ahead and throw this out there. He um, was from Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Hmm. By gosh. <laughs> 
And he had a different idea of what movies the movie industry could be. 1931. This is this is the birth of the movie industry. The, he came to uh, he came to L.A. with very few things, Steve. <laughs> the Universal monsters are so iconic. I love watching Svengoolie every Saturday night, and those movies from 1931 are so much a part of my my existence. Well, let's make sure we're we're clear on this. The, there was only one Universal picture that had been produced as of this you know the book the second one was frankenstein correct the first one was dracula, dracula. i don't a, drink with wine. our second story bella lugosi steve mm-hmm. bella lugosi the star of dracula who was he was dracula on stage before they made the movie version so he became the dracula he's still the iconic dracula the dracula steve he was playing hard to get he wanted to be a superstar. He thought that he had made it and he was playing hard to get. He didn't want to play the monster in Frankenstein. Well, he's just a guy just uh, groaning and gr- uh, all, grunting all the way around the, uh, the lots. I'm, I'm just a caveman. <laughs> well, so we got the first one was Junior. The second was Bella Lugosi. Um, and then the third one was Boris Karloff, who was a very struggling but working actor. There's a great scene in this book where he contemplates going back to being a truck driver, where being a truck driver maybe was a better career for his family to provide for his family. Maybe this acting thing wasn't for him. And sometimes you got to choose between the five cent cigar, Steve, and the twenty five cent cigar. Nineteen thirty one, nineteen thirty one. Can you imagine the 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 caviar and the champagne? Oh, four dollars. Oh boy, I don't know. So the first thing we should know is that the senior did not like Dracula, but it was very very successful. Mm-hmm. He's like, I don't understand these modern films, and 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 that idea of creating this movie and putting that up against the creation of the monster is so well written in this book the idea of creation is the story of frankenstein it's alive (laughs) and making the film industry making universal the universal that we think of today is so well put in this story and ultimately we have this funnel and the funnel is that Junior wants to make this film, but his father keeps throwing bones at him and saying, hey, listen, if you don't make the film, I'll make you vice president. Mm-hmm. If you don't make the film, you're going to be uh, very powerful. You can make whatever you want to, just don't make this Frankenstein film. So that is constantly playing on there. We have Bella Lugosi constantly saying, yeah, I'm not going to take this phone call. Yeah, I have no interest in playing this. Mm-hmm. Um, what did they say? Okay, oh, I still have no interest in. <laughs> maybe playing I'll do it. Maybe I'll do it. No, maybe no, I'll. It's no, it's just a I'll. trash character. I am an. I am an actor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't say blah blah blah. <laughs> and then we have Boris Korloff, who is just—he um, is so happy to get a role. He's such a pawn in this story. He has almost no control here. He is the one who's brought in and and. Yes, you have this role. No, you don't have this role. Bella Lugosi is going to take it. Yes, you have it. No, you don't have it. And he he's thrown around at, throughout the whole story. So he eventually gets called in to do a makeup test. Mm-hmm. And they've got to put the makeup on him. And uh, it's really kind of interesting 
because they're like, we're not really sure we want this this actor. They wanted him. I'm sorry. They wanted Bella Lugosi. Lugosi. And they ended up getting Boris Karloff to do a makeup test. He, he thought he already had the, the job. And then they're like running over the, the film over to somebody's um, uh, the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're like setting up a little studio inside the house, running the test reel. And they're very, very scared. That moment, that is a well-documented moment where that screen test, where Boris Karloff starts with his head facing away from the camera and the reveal as he slowly turns around of how scary this makeup is, how much he looks like a reanimated corpse. I love that scene in this book. And I love the idea that the reason why he looked so much like a dead corpse is because he had bridge work taken out of his mouth because it was hurting him. And that sunken inside of his face, that is abnormal. Abby normal? No. <laughs> well, the, in, in fact, the entire, um, the makeup, the idea of placing heavy, um, was it wax over his eyes to make him droop down? Yes. Um, so it really, he, it gave this incredible sort of um, reveal. Mm-hmm. And Bella Lugosi, even to the day before shooting, at least according to the book, mm-hmm thinks he's got the job. He's like, okay, I'll take it, I'll take it. But he didn't want it. He said he didn't want it. He was playing hard to get. And the story that plays out with these three venues is so well put together. We are in Bella's head thinking about this and that. I love how this author was able to take these historic pieces and make them into a real fiction, a real story with emotions and dialogue. And, and there's your question, Frank. How much of this is true? I don't know. And how much of it is, like, there's got to be some truth to mm-hmm. it. But it really kind of uh, reads like a screenplay, Steve. Like they're going to make a movie about how to make Frankenstein. I think that would be a great movie. I would watch the heck out of that movie. It reminds me... Do you think s- they'd get Gene Walter? He's dead. <laughs> Frankenstein? It's pronounced Frankenstein. Is it is it Frodrick? No, it's Frederick. Well, why isn't it Frodrick Frank? See, we're getting back to young Frankenstein. There's something about this story, this movie, and the way that this book puts these pieces together of these characters that I, I love. And I think what any listener would want to know is this is about early Hollywood. Mm-hmm. This is from the moving a movement from the silent pictures to pictures with sound. Mm-hmm. The the idea of creating actors and how the movie uh, industry should work. I mean, th- we have all the founders that are part of this. There's a scene in here where they go play a poker game and all the uh, studio heads are part of this group. They're all playing poker together. This is after they've They've gone out uh, with their wives and all that other stuff. And it's like midnight and they show up at Samuel Goldman's uh, house and they kind of walk through and by the pool, there's some, some sandwiches available. <laughs> and uh, anyway, Junior, by the way, has lots of panic attacks. Yes, that is a big part of this story is thinking about the mental health of the people in charge, the man in charge, the stress that yeah. he is under, the pressure that he is under in this story, trying to create something and trying to satiate his father's view of what film could be. And you can say you could see every generation filmmaking change changes quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So 
the 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 movies that George Lucas made, and you know, fifty years ago, Steve, um, are very different. <laughs> Thanks, Chip. <laughs> are very different from the movies they're making today. Mm-hmm. And so, every generation or every few years, technology changes, and those movies change. This really is a story about how what the uh, viewing audience expected keeps escalating. And Frankenstein was part of that group. And that generational movement of how we do things differently from our parents and how our kids will do things differently, very much a piece of that Frankenstein myth. Yeah, see? Yeah. (laughs) Then the author throws in a piece about the 1918 flu pandemic. so well written. The the character of Junior Lemley has this memory of being a child and being in the middle of this pandemic and seeing people in masks and being not afraid because he didn't understand because he was a child. Yeah. And I think that there's no way that that piece of this book could have been written pre-COVID. I don't think that the audiences of the 21st century would have understood it until we went through it ourselves with the COVID pandemic. And, and the, the uh, short story where they said he, he wanted, his father sent him to go watch a film. Mm-hmm. The, the film, uh, all the theaters have been closed because of the flu. The guy goes, all right, kid, come on in. Come on I'll in. set up the camera. But the guy leaves and goes home. And uh, basically the child's there watching the film by himself. And then he gets back home and finds that his mother has succumbed to that flu. And the the emotional piece of that is so well done in this book. I enjoyed this book to no end. All right, anything else you want to say about Frankenstein, Steve? Well, we, we need to talk a little bit more about Bela Lugosi. He played Dracula two times. There's two movies where Bela Lugosi plays Dracula. The first one was 1931's Dracula. The second one was Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. That was put out in 1948. Blah, 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 <laughs> blah, blah. It's pretty amazing to think that the iconic actor, the one who created this character on stage, only played him on the screen twice. Well, I'm thinking of Plan 9 from Outer Space mm-hmm. um, and the movie that Tim Burton made. Ed Wood. And you realize in that movie that Bela Lugosi is just a broken person during mm-hmm. that time. He he did not find that success that we think of with stardom. And he died in a in a... A, a very small house that just went on sale, by the way, a few months ago and uh, garnered a, a huge payday because it was Bela Lugosi's house that they actually used to film Plan 9 for Outer Space. It was a crypt, Steve. <laughs> Eventually it was. But he he didn't find that he, he was, superstar. He was the original crypt. The crypt keeper? <laughs> oh, kitties, let me tell you. I'm thinking of the gang, Steve. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> He wanted blood. He was the bloods in the crypts. He was he was the original on both sides. Goodness gracious! He he worked both sides. He was the bloods and the crypts. (laughs) I don't drink (laughs) vine. Ironically, Svengooli showed the Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein this weekend, and ironically, I was featured as one of the people that mailed in a picture of me with my Svengooli standee on my road trip to Pennsylvania when we stopped off at the Studium in in. 
Pennsylvania. So Steve was, uh, Steve, you're a star now, Steve. So, yes, get, you're a star. So Saturday night, my texts start blowing up. Oh my goodness, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Of course, I wasn't in the house to watch it. Of course, that's the one Saturday night that I was out somewhere else. But I did get a recording. Our cousins in California on the West Coast feed caught it. So you can find it on the social media. And forever, for the rest of my life, I will have been featured on Svengoolie for almost a minute. Your life is complete, Steve. <laughs> This is a good book. I really enjoy the storytelling. I love it when somebody can take real historical fact and add it to some emotional impact and tell us a story. This is a good story. Did you enjoy this one, Chip? This is all right, Steve. All right. <laughs> I thought as a historian you would enjoy it, but as it, it, it's it's a it's okay. Okay. Let's just say it's it's okay. If you have interest in Frankenstein, this would be and the movie industry and this would be very interesting Hi. but on the, on, the, on, the, on the grand scheme it was a little verbose okay I liked it very much it would make a good uh, independent film I think so Netflix I, type I, thing. I think a story of creation of the story creation <laughs> it's alive <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's a it's a recommendation of sorts okay fine so yes I I I recommend this book. Go and find it. It's a very short read. It's a very short story. We listened to the audiobook version, and it was about five hours of audiobook. I, I liked it very much. That's It's Alive. I'm not going to yell it again. <laughs> Published in 2022 by Julian David Stone. Scroll with it. Brings it to our scroll with it. Uh, I, I kept putting things into the, the, the document this week, Chip. There's a lot. Important things. There's Steve. a lot of things that have been happening in my life. First, oh boy, 60 years of Doctor Who, Who? are coming to the iPlayer in the UK. Every episode that's available, 800 episodes of Doctor Who, are going to be available for streaming through the iPlayer for those of us who live in England. Should we bring uh, our uh, VPN as our latest sponsor? <clears throat> VPN. <clears throat> but I can only imagine that this is a predecessor to the same thing happening at Disney+. Plus. Disney+, Plus is going to be the distributor of the new Doctor Who in 37 days, Chip. In 37 days, new Doctor Who is coming to Disney+. Plus. I have to imagine they, they've bought the back catalog for distribution as well. So I'm waiting. I'm waiting every minute to see if there's going to be an announcement that Doctor Who is available. Well, they're looking for new subscribers, Dave. I, they, they, the old people want to see some stuff too. <laughs> you watched 60 Minutes this week and saw uh, the godfather of AI, Jeffrey Hilton, talking about uh, how AI might be uh, frightening. Our future leader, Steve. Uh-huh. There oh. you go. Oh. So uh, if you if you're not familiar with it, yeah, he's critical of it in a good way uh, and very thoughtful, and you probably should watch it. Yeah, he says that AI might escape control if we give it the the ability to rewrite its own code. Well, I'm sure it's going to do it, Steve. I've seen the movies where it happens. Uh, that's what I keep thinking about. We keep reading these books and watching these movies where this has happened over and over again, and it does not usually end well for humanity. The Cylons may have a plan, Steve. They have a plan. We don't know what it is, but they have a plan. 
Teens are developing a severe gambling problem. We see so much advertising for gambling since Disney got into the gambling business. Well, they said it's okay, Steve. Uh -huh. And if you watch ESPN or watch the sports uh, shows mm -hmm. leading up to the NFL or college football or baseball, they're giving the odds. The old days, they kind of give the odds and would kind of wink at it, really not giving too much um, more information on it. But now DraftKings and all the other uh, online platforms are basically sponsoring this. Mm -hmm. And it's become, I think, how they're trying to pay for this um, this media. This is really creating a, a tough issue because the adrenaline, the... the, um, the Endorphins. All, all that chemistry. Starts playing into it. Mm -hmm. And we're taking young men who are vulnerable... And, you know, this is not about standing on a soapbox and saying, hey, you're sinning and it's wrong. This is about destroying people. It's not any different than what we're finding out with the, the mental health issues downtown where people are standing in the corner doing, you know, bad things. You put people in situations where they can't win. Mm -hmm. They double down. They triple down. They don't necessarily know what truly is going on mm -hmm. uh and yes. boy that sounds like a terrible way of describing it addiction. but the point is is you you've gambled your hundred bucks well you know i could make it all back up with the, another one the next time and the next time mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you're down you know a thousand dollars or five thousand dollars this will change what a young person has available to them and this Change is not lives. good. This is not good. Yeah, the Virginia Supreme Court upheld a ban on electronic skill games this week. They have outlawed those those gambling machines at every storefront like we have here in Illinois in the state of Virginia. Well, especially the ones in poor areas. Mm -hmm. So we go around the corner and in, in the gas station there are slot machines and the local bars there are. But the people are demanding them. But the point is, you go to some of the wealthier neighborhoods, they... They don't have them in, in there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, no bueno. Yeah, I, I agree that there's something there's something to we don't want to add more addiction to our lifestyle. I kind of like the idea where you have to go to the facility. You have to go to um, the, the casino, mm -hmm. and that's where you place your bets, and that's what you're doing it online. All of a sudden, it just becomes ubiquitous. Too um, too easy to get involved. It's too easy. For sure. And, and like I said, I am a free market guy, but this is, you know, this this is really going to destroy a lot of families. It already has. We know that it has. We know that gambling addiction is a, a real problem in our society. But you know what type of addiction is a good addiction, Steve? Reading. Reading is Reading a good... is fundamental, kids. <laughs> Spotify is opening a huge library of 150,000 audiobooks for its premium users. Is this good for reading? Is this going to add literacy? Or is this the end of print media? I can't think it's the end of print media, but this is wonderful. Because I, I am an Audible um, subscriber. I buy my credits. I, I do a lot of Audible books. Mm -hmm. I buy stuff on the Kindle. Mm -hmm. um, and I do buy paper, too, here and there. But what we're looking at is you're taking a music service and you've added podcasts to it. Mm -hmm. And you're paying for some podcasts. And then you also have these audiobooks, which, you know... I have Apple Music. I, I, is Apple Music going to add 
audiobooks? I hope they do. They might. I'm hoping they will. Hmm. Because I think that this is a this is a dif- differentiator and certainly would be something that could move people from one to another. I spend a lot of money on books. I do a lot of reading and I, do, I listen to a lot of audiobooks. I love the the performance art that is audiobooks. I am a subscriber to Spotify and I look forward to getting into this library. And for those of you who don't uh, know that your local public library has, uh-huh. uh, has also has a service that's available and you can look at it for movies and for books and you know you can download those apps to your streaming device. And magazines. Kids, look up what a magazine is later. What's a magazine? Say? It's a magazine. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I look forward to what this is going to do. Details are on Spotify.com. We have it in our show notes. Steve, you know, we should probably have oh, a get-together this week. We have got... Chip, this is the second get-together we've had in a week, and you want to get together some more this week. This Steve, has been... Steve, this, this is our 10th anniversary. Yes. Time to get together. Join us on Thursday, October... 19th at the Goose Island Barrel Warehouse in Chicago. Chicago. We are going to be there for a lecture. We're not in trouble, are we? <laughs> Can you describe the ruckus? <laughs> WBEZ, Chicago's NPR station, is presenting Suds on Screen, drinking scenes from film and TV. I am a huge fan of pop culture. I don't know if I've mentioned this in the last 10 years. I love the analysis of movies and culture and how these come together. Alcohol is a part of so many movies, even those movies that are made in Chicago. And sponsored by Malort. Uh, they will probably mention Malort in this, won't they? They probably will. Goose Island, of course, is our one of our local beers, and uh, I look forward to listening to this. Uh, it's Curious City is the name of the show on WBZ, and they're going to tell us all about Chicago and film and pop culture. This is presented by the Chicago Bruseum, the Chicago Museum of Beer, which uh, I am also a big fan of. That's going to be fun. We're going to have a lot of fun. I don't know, Chip. I think we have enough information to survive another week, at least until Thursday. What do you think? Only if we can come back next week, Steve. I think we can. We'll have to find a new locale because last week we were in North Carolina. This week we're in Chicago. We'll have to... Anybody out there, you want us to come to your house and broadcast? We will be there. Give us a a call or a text. Our phone number is 805-4104-TMS. Our website is toomuchscrolling.com. Our email is toomuchscrolling at gmail.com. We're still on threads and x.com and Instagram and Facebook. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and YouTube. And you can always ask your smart speaker to play the latest episode of Too Much Scrolling. I want to thank you again for listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'm Steve Foder. I'm Dr. Frankenstein. Mm. It is good, isn't it? (laughs) We'll see you in the future.